Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius, for the very first time in 2022. Christian, Happy New Year, my friend. How are you? Um, uh, um yeah, I'm, I'm, I, the year started. Wow. No, no love for 2022. Okay, look, I'm. I mean, I started off 2022 with COVID. Well, no, it's more like I ended 2021 with COVID. There you go. Yeah, but this let's let we'll, we'll step onto the brighter side, you know. Uh yes. Unfortunately, although we both are are back in our our homes here in Los Angeles, Christian has survived a recent bout with COVID, which we are grateful for. Uh, and so we will return to our normal recording setup in the near future, hopefully. But for now, we are on Zoom once again. This is fun to remember the the good old days of Zoom recording this podcast. And it's funny that we are like this, as of course we are now. Taking time to reflect on 2021, a year that we began over Zoom and finished in person, but it's time to look at our respective top 10 and really for us top 20 lists of 2021. So Christian, was putting together a list this year easy for you or was it hard? Did you have a few clear cut top options or were you just awash in great movies? My top five were definitely my top five. Like, my number six, and I love my number six, and I'll talk about why I love my number six, but there was, like, a distinction between my top five and the others that I've seen. Um, I gave three movies this year five stars. I, I, I really like it. Also, I feel like I'm, I have a very diverse list. Like, you don't really see a coherent thing in in what I have and I think that's because we saw a lot of different genres and styles of directing and a lot of I feel like there was just a lot this year and maybe it's just that theaters opened back up and so I was able to see much more than before right 2021 was weird in that way because we started at home but then theaters eventually started opening up not not quite to where they once were in terms of people in seats but in terms of showtimes available theaters did get back to normal for a while and so we were able to see movies again the way that they were meant to be seen for a very long time so last year was funny because you just had all of these movies and some truly great movies but a lot of movies put onto streamers uh, available for video on demand uh, or if you know, off chance you caught something in the theater, <laughs> in or you know, early on in the year. Now we had stuff that was a blend of a lot of streaming titles or movies that were big movies that started in theaters but then quickly went to streaming. Like as as everybody knows, Warner Brothers and HBO Max had uh, things day and date on HBO Max. Disney experimented with some of that for Disney Plus, so a lot of ways to see movies this year. So I think our lists are funny because there are a number of movies on your list that I didn't get to see, and I'm really sad about it because a ton of them were only available in theaters, and just through the month of December, I was not able to go to the movies nearly as much as I wish that I could have or that I had been doing previous months of the year. So I think that's something that's funny about my list, too, is you'll see... A lot of the movies that I feel really attached to from this year are movies that I saw in a theater or otherwise a movie that I had maybe, you know, a a special moment of seeing the movie, a special time, special place. And so those things tended to stand out to me as I look at my list. Um, 
Christian, anything else you want to say just about 2021 in, in general as a movie year? Do you feel good about it as a year? It, it, there's Again, it was weird because so many things were delayed and they all were released on us over the last few months here. And just in terms of notable movies, prestige movies, Oscar bait movies, uh, just how do you feel about the year in general? This is weird because I'm someone who follows like the Oscar charts of like who's likely to be predicted and who isn't. I think for the first time in a couple of years... My favorite movies have very little correlation with what is getting Oscar buzz. Um, normally, I have like a couple, and for oh, for many years, like my number one movie of the year was is like a Best Picture contender. This year, that's very much not the case. <clears throat> so, so I don't, I I don't know. I I guess like it's it it's weird in seeing how my tastes maybe it's just with what's available to me are kind of very much cemented i i love this year i love 2020 movies but i liked this year more and i feel like that's kind of the case with my list too there are definitely some best picture contenders on my list and maybe a few more than yours um especially in terms of the top 10 so it'll be fun to dive into that and kind of make our make our case for these movies that we love so much so As listeners may remember from last year, we actually put together our top 20 of the year. So what we will do quickly is we'll walk through our respective 20 through 11, just throw out some early honorable mentions, movies that didn't make the list, but we wanted a a chance to throw them out. So Christian, without further ado, let's get into the ranking. I turn it over to you, my friend. What were your movies number 20 through number 11 for 2021? Dope. So... And number 20, I have The Father, which was the Best Picture nominee this year. And it is a harrowing portrait of a man dealing with Alzheimer's, anchored by a gripping performance by Anthony Hopkins. At 19, I have The Suicide Squad, James Gunn, coming in and directing a kill shot comedy that truly makes great use of its special effects and its ensemble cast. At number 18, I have Demon Slayer Mugen Train, uh, kind of proving to me that anime... Uh, And also just like TV show movies can have an audience and amazingly, amazingly fantastical elements to it. Number 17, A Glitch in the Matrix, a documentary that deals with our purpose in life and whether or not we actually have one that has some of the scariest sequences I've seen this year. Uh, 16, I have Finch, which is a weird... I'm going to say Wall-E-like apocalyptic movie about a man and his robot and his dog. <laughs> and number 15, I've got Mass. Uh, two parents who of a shooting victim meet up with the two parents of the shooter. You're on the edge of your seat the entire time. And this was not a play. This was written as a movie. And it is cinematic as as almost anything you'll see this year. At 14, I've got Coda. Beautiful tale of the deaf community. And a gripping coming-of-age story showcasing uh, actors who we don't normally get to see a showcase from. And a wonderful Troy Kotzer performance, which I'm sure we'll get into later on. Uh, 13, Black Widow. Look, I love Black Widow. Like, screw the haters. Black Widow, David Harbour, Florence Pugh, you know, Rachel Weisz, Scarlett Johansson. I love you all. We've got uh, 12, Malcolm and Marie, an interesting portrait of an artist facing his critics and the people in his life. John David Washington, I think at some of the heights that I've ever seen John David Washington to, 
do an 11 King Richard, Will Smith playing the father of the Williams Tennis Sisters. Oh man, what a nice, nice showcase of not just Will Smith's star power, but a beautiful, beautiful athletic sports movie of overcoming everything. And it's cli- it's a cliched sports movie that follows all the tropes, but does it in a heartwarming way. All right, that is your 20 through 11, Christian. Definitely some movies I missed. Uh, King Richard, probably chief among them. I really wanted to see that and just was not able to before it disappeared from HBO Max. And so that is at the top of my list once it comes back, especially because I'm sure it will be in contention for some Oscars. Uh, I do have to say... Um, from from that list, I was trying to cut you know catch up with some of the movies that were in your top twenty while I was doing my final watches of the year, just so we could talk about them if they came up a little bit more. Uh, and so Malcolm and Marie was one of those movies that I had missed by the time your top five, your halfway of the year top five episode came out. And then it, this was rolling around, and I said, you know what, I owe it to Christian, I got to watch Malcolm and Marie. And let me tell you, I hated it. <laughs> so one of my least favorite movies of the year by far, down there with. Uh, no, it's not just that. There, I have numerous problems with that movie, which we don't need to get into. <laughs> but, listeners, I, I ask you, check out Malcolm and Marie. I'd love to know somebody else's thoughts because I thought it was quite frustrating. <laughs> but otherwise, uh, a definitely good list there. We Christian and I went back and forth about The Father. Does it really count for 2021? And we decided yes, because it was released in festivals in 2020, but actually didn't release in the States, at least, until early 2021, uh, which put it in contention for last year's Oscars. So uh, it would be on my list. I just don't want to change things up either. Um, I was quite a fan. Uh, so without further ado now, my 20 through 11. At number 20, my Marvel representation here, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Definitely my favorite Marvel movie of the year. Uh, just enjoy so much of what's going on in that movie, from the action to um, the way that they use flashbacks throughout the movie to build up the narrative and the dynamics for the family members there. Uh, number 19, Nobody, my favorite movie of this year that is not a John Wick movie, but feels like it is, starring a a wonderful Bob Odenkirk as a family man who uncovers, uh, not uncovers, but reveals some uh, secret agent-ish, <laughs> I guess I could say, tendencies that he has been hiding as he gets uh, embroiled into a violent situation. At 18, I had No Sudden Move, Steven Soderbergh's crime drama from earlier this year, uh, a movie that we got to see in theaters, Christian, once uh, things were opening back up, and just one of those movies that you're watching and you know it's the, the a master working in his comfort zone with great stars. Uh, number 17, I had Blue Bayou, another movie that we saw together, Christian, but uh, a very underseen movie, I would say, this year, written and directed and starring uh, Justin Sean as uh, a man who has lived in America all his life. He was adopted as a child uh, from, I forget which country, so pardon me, but from an Asian country. And he uh, gets into a situation where he is about to be deported and has to navigate that situation with because he is married and has adopted his, his wife's uh, daughter. So uh, very... Um, in-your-face movie at times, but I found it to be pretty challenging in a good way, pretty heartwarming, and kind of turned me on to an issue that I wasn't super aware of, so that's Blue Bayou. At number 16, my representative from last year's Oscars, Judas and the Black Messiah, a movie that totally lived up to the trailers with complete knockout performances from both Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield. If you, for whatever reason, never got around to watching that one in the run-up to the Oscars last year, I would encourage you to check it out now. At number 15, No Time to Die. I'm a huge James Bond fan, and I managed to fit in a rewatch of the whole Daniel Craig cycle before checking out the new one and just totally went for it. I definitely understand and accept that there are some problems with it, and I'm not a huge fan of Rami Malek as the villain in that movie, but otherwise, 
just I, I love the way that they sent off Craig, uh, both in the actual ending of the movie, but also in, in the build up to it. At number 14, I had Flea, uh, which is an animated documentary. Uh, about a man who they call Amin for the purposes of the movie, but that is a, a pseudonym to protect his identity and the identity of his family, sharing his story of <clears throat> the process of getting out of his home country uh, because there is some there's tension and people are fleeing the country, and the ultimate process and uh, of him trying to stay with his family, immigrate to a safer European country, but also struggling with his identity um, or I guess coming to terms with his sexuality uh, as he is growing up and just. One of those movies that I'm so glad I got to see living out here in Los Angeles with things being available to you. Such a, I mean, there's been animated documentaries before, but just so cool to have that process told in animation, both for what it does to protect the identities, but also just to take you to memories and, and things that he remembers and stories he can share from his life. Really moving, really, really cool. Should be in contention for some awards later this year, so definitely check it out if you can. 13 for me was Coda. Uh, Christian, you just mentioned it. I'm cosign everything that you said about that movie uh, just uh, coming of age story and it's one of those things where it's a very conventional movie in some respects but the uh fronting of deaf individuals is again what makes this movie unique but uh again it's not just a gimmick these people are uh, incredible actors giving full realized performances and there's great family dynamics and challenges that come up through it and amelia jones too is the star of that movie is a total knockout and i hope that we get to see her so much more moving forward at number 12 i had licorice pizza which i i was really considering if i wanted to move this into my top 10 list of the year paul thomas anderson's latest got to see this in 70 millimeter here in uh, westwood which is where ucla is out here in los angeles and gosh what an excellent movie theater experience um had just enough problems with it that i needed to to keep it out of my top 10 but i was uh definitely a huge fan of pta's latest uh, just a blast of a hangout movie in the 1970s san fernando valley with great lead performances from cooper hoffman in his debut anything performance to the best of my knowledge and alana heim in her debut feature film performance and then lastly my number 11 raya and the last dragon listeners might remember that made uh, my top five of the year so far it's a movie that i just have a, had a very special moment with at uh, the drive-in which is where i saw it with my wife and i think i'm a little more personally attached to it than i do remember the movie being as good so i, I wanted to make sure I, I could mention it here but knocked it off the top 10 list we'll have 10 more movies to talk about there but raya and the last dragon rounds out my 20 through 11 i have seen all of these movies that you just mentioned except for flea so i'm excited to catch up with it uh, uh i mean great picks from you i will say licorice pizza might be the best audience that i saw a movie with this year it, it's it's honestly between that and Spider-Man No Way Home and, and to like to have film bros come out for Licorice Pizza was kind of cool. Uh, I, I'm trying to see if there's anything else I want to say about your movie. I mean, several, several things on here that I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. So, yeah, nobody, nobody I saw in a plane. Great plane movie. <laughs> Totally a great plane movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're taking a flight anytime soon, anybody, check out Nobody. Like, it will live on planes for the next few years, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Let's 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 get into it, because we have 19 movies to discuss. Let's do it. <laughs> we have only one movie that has made crossover between our two lists, which Truly has incredible. not happened before we had several in 2020 and several in 2019 i actually in 2019 we might have had like five movie crossovers 2020 probably also so we you know let's um okay we have so much to discuss that um let's get into it any 
time. You know what? Let, let's get into it. Let's get. Let's just, <laughs> let's just do it. Let's do it, Christian. So we are going to kick things off with your number 10. It's one of the movies that I was not yet able to see, so I'll be relying on you to pitch it here. Your number 10. Okay, so my number 10 is The Killing of Two Lovers. I'm pretty sure it's still available on Hulu for everyone to see. It's written, directed, produced, and edited by Robert Machoyan, um, starring Clayne Crawford, Sapita Moafi, Chris Coy. Um, let me just stop it there. It is about a man who is living separately from his wife and they agree to see different people as they try to work out their marriage but the thing is that's something that she wanted to do and not him and so it is this ever-present tension as he wants the marriage to keep going and she isn't sure if she wants that or not it is tense it is dramatic it is beautifully beautifully shot oh my goodness like here's the thing uh, the camera sometimes cuts people off. Like, the um, at the very edges of the screen, you'll see, like, a person in two or a truck in two, even though action is still going on. And you are just captivated by the landscape. You are captivated by where they're going. Uh, phenomenal. I think it's a directorial debut here. And I know that it, very few people have been able to see it, but currently on Hulu, I, you've heard a little bit about this movie, I'm pretty sure, Scott, right? I have, yeah, but only a little. It's it's not his debut. I'm, I'm looking at his IMDb right now, which is the only way that I know that. He's uh, Robert, I don't again, I don't know how to say this, but Machoyan, uh, seems to have been working in, in indie film for a long time. He's, he's gotten to put out a number of short films and a few features, but The Killing of Two Lovers is a movie that... I definitely heard kind of getting some noise at festivals when it was out, but a lot of those were happening in 2020. Finally got a release this year. So I've heard a little bit, uh, but you're really the first person that I've known who's actually recommended it to me. So it's definitely on the list for something to check out. And you know me, I love a well-shot movie. So I I'm excited to hear that this movie looks good because that, I mean, I can get over a bad story if it's a movie that looks beautiful. And, and the the acting is so naturalistic in, in the beautiful way. I, I would say... A lot of movies on my list I don't necessarily think are Scott movies. I think that this, ah, maybe my next one. This is a very, I think this is a movie Scott will enjoy. All right. Well, I appreciate the recommendation, Christian. So that is The Killing of Two Lovers. You can check it out on Hulu. I should have watched it before this episode, but time was short. So my number 10 definitely would fall into the category of movies competing for Oscars and awards coming out this year. It is The Power of the Dog, Jane Campion's newest film starring Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, and Cody Smith-McPhee. Story follows uh, Cumberbatch and Plemons playing two brothers who are in charge of their family's ranch. Plemons character George meets and falls in love with Rose, who is an innkeeper at one of the nearby towns. They live in Montana in the early 1900s, and he takes her and her teenage son in, and that causes some tension with uh, Cumberbatch's more surly rancher. And the tensions continue to rise uh, throughout the their time together. Uh, this is one of those movies that I had heard basically every film critic that I enjoy, and many that I... Uh, if I don't follow them personally or, or, you know, I haven't read a ton of their writing, it just seemed that every film critic and their mother was singing the praises of this movie. I hadn't seen any Jane Campion movies before. She's definitely somebody that I, uh, I want to see more of her work. I just haven't. And so uh, The Power of the Dog was my entree into her work, and I will definitely be checking out more. Uh, I was really captivated by this, this story. Uh, it's very character-driven. It's very much a slow burn as these tensions rise 
revelations start to come about the characters and we get to a a I wouldn't say it's not really a plot twist of an ending but we do land on a pretty dark note and and it takes a lot to get there and it's one of those movies that the the build up is so worth it if you're willing to sit with it through the slow burn and it's not the slowest movie you'll ever see but if you'll sit with it through the slow burn you will absolutely be rewarded somebody like uh, Jane Campion obviously one of these masters uh, filmmakers also gets just a number of great collaborators with her um, this is a movie shot by Ari Wegner and the the vistas here of New Yo, Zealand Ari where they shot great. it yes went absolutely went off just in how good this movie looks and I'm sad that I didn't get a chance to see it in a theater I did watch it on Netflix where it is available and even on Netflix on my not so great TV it looked amazing and I wish that I could have seen it on just a massive movie screen the music from Johnny Greenwood is incredible everybody who has seen this movie and liked it has been singing the praises uh, of Johnny Greenwood's score uh, and it is so interesting and so unique and really is the kind of score that it, it's not traditional strings and orchestra you know it, it's guitars it's, it's some brass it's some violin and it's, it's, it's very memorable it's a yeah. very very memorable score yes uh, it definitely sets the tone very very well for these scenes and in, Often, you know, in, in bad movies, the score is often relied on to kind of tell you what to feel. And in good movies like The Power of the Dog, it's the score that just amplifies what's going on. It's not telling you what to feel. You're already feeling it. It just makes it worse. Uh, and so I, I'll, I'll probably say a little bit more about this movie. But Christian, I know that you have seen this. What were your thoughts on The Power of the Dog? So um, I was surprised in that I actually really enjoyed it because it's it's a slow burn that takes a while to really let its plot kick in. Uh, and and it, it's probably actually in my number 21 to 25. I do... Here's the thing. Uh, I loved Cody Smith McPhee. And I loved the ending of this movie. And it, it paid off for me. A lot of people might think that this is way too much of a slow burn. But I do think that if you kind of wait for it to come in, you'll enjoy it. Honestly, my I think my biggest problem with this is Benedict Cumberbatch's accent. But outside of that... <laughs> what? Uh, outside of that, uh, you know, this is, I, I, I don't really have complaints. I just didn't love it as much as my other 20. Uh, you always pick on accents, Christian. <laughs> I don't know why. It. I, I mean, to me, dialogue's very important. So if your dialogue sounds weird. <laughs> I mean, yes, we do have Cumberbatch here, who, of course, is an English actor portraying a Montanan rancher. So definitely going for more of a rough and tumble kind of accent. Not quite Southern, obviously, but that very American style. Uh, I didn't really notice anything about it. He's actually one of the people. I mean, this movie is getting all kinds of plaudits for its acting as well. A lot of the major characters are are going to be in the running for Oscars later this year. So definitely one to, to check out if you're looking for something interesting to watch, you like a slow burn, or if you're looking to keep up with the Oscars later this year, I would strongly encourage you to check out The Power of the Dog, which is available on Netflix. Christian, you're number nine. So my number nine is Drive My Car, which is directed by Ryosuke Hamaguchi and co-written by him and Takamasa Oe. It is a Japanese film that I can't really describe because it's three hours long and the plot is bonkers. Okay, so there's this woman and she's a writer, but she can, ideas only come to her after sex. And so with her husband, after sex, she tells him what her ideas for a story are because if she goes to sleep, in the morning, she'll forget them, and he writes them down. Uh, her husband is a, a theater director, and when he comes back one day, he finds her unexplicably dead. Um, just by 
she she dies and that sets off the course of the movie where he's trying to grapple with her death and what she meant to him as he's trying to direct an adaptation of Uncle Vanya. So it's, uh, which is a checkoff play for everyone, for people who don't know. Um, what I just told you, that synopsis is the first 40 minutes of the movie. And then the other two hours and 20 minutes is, is just like incredible yeah, internal realization of the life that you're living, the purpose that you have, how much worth you should actually give art, whether someone's love actually means something to you. Um, the dialogue is very in your face in how explicitly it conveys these terms of loss, grief, and overall withstandingness. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm going to say this a couple of times. But the, uh, the, so the main actor, his name is Hiratoshi Nishijima. So he plays the husband. He is among the best performances that I have seen this year. And, and it's, oh man, I, I know that you haven't had a chance to see it. I know that you've heard several people talk about it. Um, I, I, I would encourage people to give this movie a shot whenever it becomes available to you. I, I think it's only available in some theaters, but whenever it comes out like on PVOD or on a streaming service, even watch it in 30-minute chunks or 40-minute chunks, but it, I, I think it's it's a movie that stays with you. I am really disappointed that I did not get to see Drive My Car. It was available in a few theaters around here, of course, being here in LA. Just timing <laughs> did not work out for me to get to go to a theater to see it. So, uh, definitely another one of those movies that I really am looking forward to if I get a chance to see it. And it's also just building so much steam in terms of winning awards, a couple uh, critics circles who are, are doing their awards or have done their awards over the last month or so have given it their best picture just outright in addition to best international feature. And so I've been very interested in Drive My Car and the fact that you liked it so much now means that it is only it's only higher on my radar, Christian. Anything else you wanted to add about Drive My Car? Not really. Moving on to my number nine now, uh, a movie that probably won't be in contention for too many Oscars later this year, and I will be disappointed when it's not. It is Ridley Scott's The Last Duel. Of course, famously starring Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, as well as written by the two of them with Nicole Holofcener. It also stars Jodie Comer and Adam Driver. Uh, the Last Duel is a movie that I had been looking to, looking forward to for a very long time, if you're not aware of the story at this point. Uh, it follows Jacques Legree and his wife Marguerite, who Jacques is kind of a somewhat disgraced knight. Uh, his wife, uh, you know, is uh, a social climber, uh, not climber, but from an old family who needs help. Uh, and he has this long-going relationship slash friendship slash rivalry with Adam Driver's Jean, er, I said the names wrong. Damon is Jean de Carouge, pardon, and Driver is Jacques Legree. Let, let's get those French names straight. And their relationship takes a twist when Legree falls for Marguerite and rapes her. Uh, and so we see the story from each of those three characters' perspectives. And Affleck, Damon, and Hollow Center, to the best of my knowledge, each wrote one uh, of, those, of the sequences, essentially, that, that make up the movie. There is a... a Brief prologue and then an epilogue, which of course is The Last Duel. Uh, and Affleck's character is playing a, a, the count of this region in France who's kind of getting into the middle of it all. 
it again one of those movies i've been looking forward to for a long time i tend to go for medieval things like this especially when it's done well and i was really impressed by the last duel both in its subject matter obviously showing us that these kinds of stories don't have to sideline women like they often do but actually can bring them to the fore and jodie comer provides an incredible performance here um but also uh, again, just the there are brief moments of action in this movie that are incredibly well done. The last duel itself might be one of the best action scenes of the year. Uh, just really went for this one. Uh, I know a lot of people were comparing this with House of Gucci, Ridley Scott's other big 2021 release, and this was definitely my preferred of his two movies this year. Christian, uh, did you get a chance to see The Last Duel? I loved Last Duel. I, I will say it, it's a movie where Jodie Comer is a standout, the the duel itself is a knockout one of the best directed things i've seen this year that final battle uh it's a movie that didn't age well with me the more that i thought about it uh, and and i tr- it, now it's disturbing in some accounts because you're seeing rape from two di- three ish but mainly just like two different viewpoints and and you're it's kind of disgusting which is the point like, when you see one person's account of this rape, it is one of the most disturbing things you're going to see this year. Um, I, I, I don't know. It, it felt like the the emphasis wasn't as much on Jodie Comer as it could have been. And it also felt a little bit more in your face about what it was trying to say rather than it's being clever about it. So it's... I like it. I don't love it. Yeah, I mean, the the depiction of the rape is one of the most contested aspects of this movie because obviously if you're going to put sexual violence in a movie, it better be serving something if you're actually going to depict it. And to depict it twice from two similar perspectives, uh, it, you got to be careful with it. And I think that with the, the goal of the story here uh, is, of course, not just to tell this medieval tale but also to draw some parallels to our world today i think it that really scott achieves that goal and and comer's uh, marguerite really does become the the centerpiece of this movie as we see not just her the effect that the rape has on her but also her place in society and how she tries to fight for herself in a in a world where women were not allowed to do so and you see how some of these like ridiculously out-of-date medieval rules and spiritual laws essentially that they lay on her aren't too far from some of the societal norms we have today at times and i think that uh scott also does a pretty good job of critiquing even these types of movies like i think about the ending which i won't spoil because i want people to go see this but just the way that he shoots the ending with um the winner of the duel riding away and marguerite also there like you you see uh kind of what he's getting at with just the way that he's using his camera and how he's editing uh this story so again uh totally understand some of the complaints that people had about it and qualms they had with it in terms of depicting rape and and the balance between these three narratives is, is enough different. Um, but I think the perspective switching works really well. The performances are excellent. Ben Affleck is having the time of his life as this hedonistic What count. accents are these people doing? They're just doing the, lame why English does accents. Matt Damon ha- <laughs> what, wh- why does Matt Damon have a mullet? Uh, I'm still, the, uh, why is Ben Affleck hairstyle? But uh, why is Ben Affleck blonde though? Hairstyles. Why, why not have Ben Affleck be blonde? He should have had blue hair. He should have looked like Ninja for all I care. <laughs> Let's uh let's move on to yes. the only movie 
that we're sharing. That is right, Christian. Moving on to your number eight, which is... The Harder They Fall. It is directed by James Samuel. It is screenwritten by James Samuel and Boaz Yakin. Boaz Yakin, who also wrote Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. I mean, why would you throw out that one instead of Remember the Titans? (laughs) He did Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Now, this is (laughs) a basically all-black cast. Yeah, I don't think there's any major white characters in this movie. This cast... Yo, freaking slaps. It's got Regina King, Jonathan Majors, Idris Elba, Zazie Beats, who, by the way, Zazie Beats and Jonathan Majors in this movie. Oh my goodness. God bless them. God bless Delroy them. Lindo. It is it is a, a a a revisionist western of sorts. It's playing with the genre. Uh Jonathan Majors stars as a man who uh his family was killed when he was young and uh, he finds out that the man who did it is got like escaped from jail or was released from jail or from being on his way to prison and now mounts a a a gang attack of sorts on him with his gang of 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 outlaws versus their gang of outlaws am i missing anything Uh, I don't think you are, Christian. Definitely classic Western, and we got, you know, one gang going up against another. There's some, you know, the guy killed his parents back in the day, so there, there's history between the two. Yeah, you, you nailed the important parts. Oh my goodness, this is so fun. This movie is so fun. Also, the soundtrack? Wow. This soundtrack was lovely. Now, let, let, let me get this out of the way. Some of the story choices were dumb. I have to say that. Okay, so uh, we should say this This movie also, as we've said, falls on my top 10 list of the year. It ranks a little bit higher for me, actually. It's my number six. But Christian, what are you talking about in terms of story choices being dumb? I'm very curious. Remember when Zazie Beats came up with that plan to go into the town and then they get her? That was stupid. <laughs> I mean, she doesn't just, like, go in to give herself up for capture. There's, like, an attempted plan, and it's foiled by the bad guys. No, 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 no. So, here's the thing, though. I didn't care about any of these story decisions. It was a... The visual... This is one of those where it's, like, the visuals, what they were doing, the A-plus acting in this... Oh, I didn't even mention Delroy Lindo. Lovely. I mean, Lakeith Stanfield, too. Like, (laughs) the cast is ridiculous. Who are giving it... I, I don't just want to, no it's not even like they're giving it their all they are showing you a good time with the simple story and I remember so many parts of this movie I, I remember so many of the shootouts I remember how I felt during like the needle drops I I loved it oh my and, and I, 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 I saw it with one of my roommates who had some story issues and I'm like but they don't matter <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this this movie absolutely oozes with style. It's it's so fun to watch. And you have a cast that's got some of the most exciting people in movies today, like people like Jonathan Majors, like Heath Stanfield, Daisy Beats, and old, you know, old old reliables like Delroy Lindo and Regina King. It, it it's one of those movies where it's a classic form reinvigorated with new life, with fresh ideas, fresh blood, and it is 
It's just, it's one of the best movies of the year, and I'm sad that more people aren't talking about it. One of my favorites of the year, like, one that I kind of can't wait to watch again, maybe see at a theater the next time I see it, if they do ever do, like, a repertory screening or something like that, like, just a blast. Let's move on to your number eight. No, seven? Eight. Eight. Doesn't matter. Go. <laughs> my number eight, Christian. A uh, lot of Netflix representation here, as we talk- already talked about The Power of the Dog and then Harder They Fall. And now we're going to get into another Netflix original, and that is Tick, Tick, Boom. Lin-Manuel Miranda's directorial debut of a film, at least, starring Andrew Garfield in uh, taking the, mu- the musical Tick, Tick, Boom into a movie. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with Tick, Tick, Boom, which a, a lot of people are, it's n- I don't believe it's uh, hit Broadway yet. It's only been off Broadway and on the West End, but uh, it's inspired by the life of Jonathan Larson. It was actually who is the composer of Rent, uh, and he worked on Tick, Tick, Boom up until um, he was able to stage a version of it, and then was able to then kind of move on to Rent, and that became, of course, his big breakthrough success before his uh, extraordinarily tragic and untimely passing at the age of 35. But Tick, Tick, Boom, out of many many musicals that came out this year i like there there were just tons of movie musicals this year uh there's a notable one that i did not get a chance to see it which uh, maybe we'll talk about that later but uh it was my favorite uh, of the musicals that we saw this year it is again just a movie that is a ton of fun um despite uh, touching on some heavy topics uh, as Larson kind of searches for his meaning in life. It touches on people struggling with HIV and AIDS as the time period of the movie is around the time in the 80s when um, that was really becoming a, a major problem for our country. So there are some challenging pieces here, but the musical itself is so fun. And Andrew Garfield is giving an incredible performance as Jonathan Larson, both nailing the singing, of course, but also really capturing this guy's essence. Like this movie has been described as such a theater kid movie and if you I mean you all know theater kids out there you know that kind of person and so this is absolutely a movie for theater kids but I mean Lin-Manuel Miranda is also kind of the the lord emperor of the theater kids and so it makes sense that he would direct it but it just it so worked for me it's the kind of movie that as soon as it was over I would thankfully was alone and was able to start singing some of the songs just by myself like yeah yeah I um I'll pause there Christian uh what were your thoughts uh for Tick Tick Boom I love it well, I really like it. It's, it's a little it, it's a little overdramatic, but it's a theater kid movie. I mean, so yeah, it's a musical. Andrew Garfield blew me away with 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 how good he sang. I've had thirty ninety and therapy. Like I'll, I, oh no, my no, gosh, yes. Oh my. Also, Vanessa Hudgens, I actually was very very impressed by. Even though she has virtually no speaking voices, she's basically just like a backup singer. No, she's not like a backup singer, but she she doesn't really have a named character. It's honestly like almost a perfect deployment of her. Like she's in just enough singing along with some of these songs, but uh, not necessarily in the center of the frame. Like it's it's really fun to have her there. It is a very rewatchable film. Like, and when I say that I've re-listened to 3090 and Therapy, I go on YouTube and I replay that part of the movie. I, I don't... It, I like watching Andrew Garfield sing and give his little heart out. Uh, I had, maybe I wasn't the biggest fan of some of the performances, but this is definitely a movie that makes you, it, it, it tugged at the heartstrings of the artist in me and, and was like, go out there and do it. And if do you're, it. Yeah. if you're creative in anything, this, this really tells you, yo, this this movie is for you and all the times you 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 didn't know if you were gonna be able to to keep going that's tick tick boom my number eight of the year 
Christian, what was your number seven? My number seven is Come On, Come On. It's a it's a movie that was written and directed by Mike Mills. It stars Joaquin Phoenix, Gabby Hoffman, Scoot McNary, Molly Webster, Woody Norman. Uh, it is, it's a small movie. I, I, I bet a lot of people haven't seen it. If you get a chance to see it, do it. This to me was like the definition of a feel-good movie this year. It is a, okay, so Joaquin Phoenix's character goes to see his sister. His sister has a son. She needs to go away for a while and be with her husband who is going through stuff. Or the, the I don't know if they're married. It's just the father of this kid. And so he takes care of this of his nephew for a couple of days. Now, he is a podcaster who goes around asking children, like interviewing kids between the ages of like, I don't know, probably 7 to 16, 17. What they think about different aspects of the world, like global warming or politics, or um, education, and you see these interviews play out as he is trying to go about his day um, and take care of this kid while his mom isn't able to for a little bit. Everyone who has seen this movie has said this, but it is one of the most respectful views of children that I've ever seen, because children are not stupid and they know that politics are a thing in real life. They know that global warming is a thing. They know that death is something that enters communities. And they have experienced sadness. And they don't know a lot of like the complexities of it. But they have emotions to them. And they want to vocalize it. And this movie almost like brings their voices to the forefront. While also letting us see how will future parents deal with it it's hopeful it's it, it's saying that it's going to be weird it's not saying it's going to be hard actually it's saying it's going to be weird more so than hard but that there there's that, that that children are able to deal with it and go with it uh what have you heard about this movie because i, I don't think you see so you saw this one again another movie i really wish that i could have seen but did not get a chance to and a lot of the things that you've already said a movie that is very touching very tender uh a movie that uh, has, is, is bolstered by two really excellent performances one from one of the greatest actors we have joaquin phoenix and one from a a newcomer child actor in woody norman it's definitely a movie that i've really wanted to see I just haven't gotten around to it and so you're definitely as you're describing it it, it sounded like more of a Scott movie too. this <laughs> heartwarming, hopeful, like those are typically things that I, I love to go for. So uh, it's definitely on the list for me. Mike Mills is another filmmaker where I've not seen any of his work. And so 2021 was going to be my, t- my time to delve into the world of Mike Mills, but I will have to keep waiting until I get my shot. <laughs> so that's come on, come on uh, for me. Moving on to number seven, a movie that, that once again appeared on my list earlier this year. It is The Mitchells vs. The Machines. I don't need to say too much more about this movie. It was Mike Rianda's de- uh, directorial debut animated movie, of course, starring Abby Jacobson, Danny McBride, Maya Rudolph, and Rianda as the Mitchells, who are one of the only families saved from an oncoming robot apocalypse. And despite the tensions they are experiencing as a family as they're taking daughter Katie to college, they have to band together to save the world. And it is, I think, uh, for a lot of the movies that I featured on uh, my list earlier this year, if they were going to make the, this list or not, I really thought about did they stick with me in some way. And The Mitchells versus The Machines definitely did. Even though I, I like um, You and Nobody, I watched it on a plane on my phone. <laughs> and yet, it's still one of my favorites that I got to watch this year. Uh, if you remember just my description of it earlier, 
the animation not only is striking and beautiful, but they use this thing they call Katie Vision, named after the main character, to kind of show her her you know her mindset or her mental state by having emojis pop on screen or uh, kind of animating how her thoughts are going. And it, it's it's not it it sounds like it could be lame, but it works really well. It's really funny, but it's it's very very uh, moving as well as they focus on the the family dynamics here as. Katie is a huge cinephile, loves movies, and her dad is very, like, anti-tech. He's not a very techie person, and that's not just, you know, that's not the core of their tension. It's one of the kind of things on top of it. And as they explore that tension between the two of them as father and daughter, it gets to some really just moving in wonderful places. Um, It's one of the best kind of family films of the year for sure, and one that I hopefully we'll get to watch with a family of my own someday it's just it's just a great movie another reminder that these kinds of like kid or family movies can be funny and colorful and bright but also have a genuine story at their core that's about humans and their emotions even as they're trying to save the world from robots so that's all i really wanted to add on uh mitchell's versus the machines it's one that i love uh, just about watching it earlier this year christian anything you wanted to say on it before we move on and I, I mean, I really like this movie. Uh, I heard someone describe the animation style as similar to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And I, I got that vibe. I don't know if you would agree with that. Uh, there's It's a the, lot... same, the same uh, production people. Sony Pictures Animation did both of those movies. So there's probably some crossover just in terms of like actual animators working on the movie. The only thing that actually prevented me from liking this more is that the animation overwhelmed me. Which for some people, like maybe that's a good thing, uh, but it's 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 very very stimulating and a heartwarming story with really cool characters, and it's made by the creator of Gravity Falls, and I think Gravity Falls is is like a masterpiece of of recent cinema uh, uh, TV. I don't know why I said cinema. Well, cinema TV, <laughs> basically. Television cinema. So, uh, no, I, I, I have no issues with this choice. This choice is wonderful. Shout out to Katie Mitchell, the character who's also officially on Letterboxd. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why it took so long for that to happen. But uh, maybe you're moaning uh, how corporate our country is. But I think it's funny that Katie's on Letterboxd with us. Christian, let's move on to your number six of the... Yo, you already mentioned it. No Time to Die. Directed by Kerry Joji Fukunaga co-written by him phoebe waller bridge of fully bag fame uh neil purvis and robert wade who have like done helped write several bond films a lot of movies yeah a lot i think everyone since 99 um yeah daniel craig's last foray this is one of the best theater experiences i've had this year oh this was just lovely sitting there watching him go uh, now, this movie felt like there were, like, 25 different things going on. Uh, honestly, part of it was incredibly comedic. Part of it was a touching love story. Uh, part of it was just an action thriller. And the, the the thing that I will admit, and I am in agreement, Rami Malek is not the best villain. Like, I think Rami Malek did a fine job in, in what he was given. I just don't think his villain was great. But when I thought about this movie, this movie was not a about the villain to me this movie was about daniel craig coming to a final realization um something that his entire arc from casino royale has been leading to and and when that came into me i'm like oh yes this this is wonderful um honestly the biggest sin this movie committed was was not having anna de armis and more of it that was (laughs) amen we needed more of her 
Paloma Yo, forever. Oh, po- God bless Paloma. That like 15 minutes, I was like on the edge of my seat thinking, I love you. <laughs> Don't leave me. Now, you, you've already touched on liking it. Was there, uh, since we, you've already touched on it, was there a specific scene that just stood out to you more than more than another one? I mean, like, I, you're already talking about it, but the scene in Cuba with Ana Darmus is, it's the best part of the movie. Like, she injects something so unique and so fresh to this very old franchise. And her specific type of Bond girl, I, I haven't seen every Bond movie, so I can't say if she's ever been seen, but especially in the Daniel Craig cycle of Bond movies, she is something so, com- you know, completely different from what we typically get. Um, not unserious, but adds some comedy. And if, if you can understand the distinction, like adds some comedy uh, and, and plays a very fun character who's also very capable and, and fits right in with the action. Um, in terms of, you know, maybe another scene that stands out to me upon reflection, uh, there, uh, Many of the uh, stalwarts of the franchise here don't necessarily make it out of this movie all right. And I think uh, Jeffrey Wright's character, Felix Leiter, who is a longtime Bond character, uh, gets an exit, if you will, from this franchise that I I really enjoyed kind of what they did with him. And um, that scene was very tense. It happens on a boat. Uh, But uh, yeah, one where these, these movies with Craig have been so much about like delving deep into Bond and getting to his heart and his emotions and his core. And a lot of No Time to Die is focused on hitting him right where it hurts in that core. And that scene is maybe not the hardest he's hurt or hardest he's hit, but uh, it certainly begins that process. So that, that, that one stood out to me as well. Um, anything else on No Time to Die, Christian? I mean, we could talk about it more, I'm sure. But no, I, just that I, I love the comedy kind of, kind of like we've touched on. I, I, I wish... And Kingsman has tried to do this as like a as like a comedy spy film, but I wish there was more action comedy that was that well directed. Oh, go for sure. carry Joji Fukunaga. Go do more. That mo- that moves us over to my number six, which is The Heart of They Fall. So we're now moving into our respective top five. So my number five is another movie that is familiar to folks who listen to this podcast. It is Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. Uh, I am not going to say too much more on it. I already spoke on it on this podcast. Simply, uh, probably the funniest movie that I saw this year. Kristen Wake and Eddie Mumolo playing Barb and Star as they go on their vacation and get caught up in an evil villain's plot to attack the town with uh, genetically modified mosquitoes. Jamie Dornan also uh, co-stars as this uh, <laughs> double agent <laughs> for the bad guys. And it, again, he's probably one of the funniest performances of the entire year for me. This movie is just hysterical. It is also available on Hulu absolutely a kind of comedy where you need to get on the wavelength you got it you got a vibe with it and if you do you'll be laughing your ass off the entire time i can totally see people hating this movie because it's too weird for them which more power to you i guess but if you haven't watched it yet please i implore you watch barb and star go to vista del mar it's the funniest movie that i saw this year i liked it i mean i it's 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 weird it's got a wonderful wonderful kristen wig and annie mumolo performance it, it it's it's just a like a breath of fresh air like there are some movies that you watch and you're like wow life is difficult like killing of two lovers is one of those um (laughs) i'm i'm not gonna lie or or power of the dog is also kind of like a bleak movie (laughs) yeah not not very cheery the power of the dog (laughs) barb and sargota visit del mar it's like oh yeah just like 
hopeful, delightful, life-affirming, everybody's buddies in the end. (laughs) Yes, it's so good. There's one line that gets me, which is when they're in the that club. I don't remember what the club is about. Um, and and then and then and then the wh- whoever it is that's talking about the rules of the club. She's like, rule number one, or maybe it was rule number two. She goes, no cursing unless, of course, it's the f word. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I I I'm I'm I like it. I like it. So, Christian, let's move on to your number five. Okay, so my number five is the worst person in the world. No one who is listening to this podcast has seen this movie. Um, it, it, it is coming out soon, though. It, it, it is going to come out in, I think it's February of this year, like February something of this year. And I encourage you all to see it. It's a Norwegian movie. It's directed by Joachim Trier, and it is written by him and Eskil Vogt. Um it's it's a movie told in 12 chapters and a prologue and an epilogue so there are 14 different sections to this movie uh it's star it's they're basically just three characters renata reinsova plays julie anders danielson plays axel 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 and then herbert nordrum plays elvind julie is a woman in her 30 no about to turn 30 right yeah turns 30 during the movie yeah turns 30 during the movie and she has had many passions she has wanted to pursue in life, but she doesn't know which one is going to stick. And she has a serious relationship with Axel, but she's not sure if it's the relationship she wants to be forever. And she's not sure if she wants to be a mom, but she thinks that maybe she could be a mom, but she thinks also she probably doesn't want to be a mom. And uh, she thinks she doesn't want to be in a relationship with Axel. She might want to be in one with Elvin. And it's just a woman trying to know where her place is in life in a way that a lot of us are trying to figure that out. Now, Scott, I'm going to ask you to not reveal how we were able to see this movie. <laughs> there were some questionable methods involved in our, our watching of this movie. <laughs> but We did not it, pirate this movie, I will say, but yeah, our methods we were d- We did not do that. <laughs> but, um, it, and, and I know that you... Uh, you didn't dislike this movie. You just absolutely not. No, you I, you weren't the biggest fan of Julie. Or, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk, talk more about I, that. I I don't know. I, I anybody who's smarter than me might think I'm quite stupid for this take, but we'll we'll let it happen. Um, I mean, people have really praised Renata Reinsva for her performance. She's widely considered, at least in like film critic circles, like people who've been able to see this movie, widely considered to be one of the best performances of the year, like from any movie. And I I think she's quite good. I just for some reason, like I, I could not connect to Julie and I, I don't quite know why. There's something about her that I couldn't access. And ultimately, uh one of the uh characters at the end of the movie is kind of it, it's uh it's a Something very sad is happening. I will just say, I won't say what. And so one of the characters is is trying to kind of connect with her in this hard time, and is is like really saying some like serious praise and, and encouragements for her. And he's saying all of these things about her. And I just was I I found myself sitting there saying like not understanding why he was saying it or what he was saying because I kind of realized we I I just couldn't fully connect to Julie as a character. I didn't really understand who she was, and I think that's part of the point. Like, she's a young woman who is trying to figure out where she wants to be, uh, 
in her life, where she wants to go in her life, what kind of job she wants to work, what kind of man she wants to be with, what kind of person she wants to become. And that's a struggle that so many of us in our you know mid to late 20s are, are going through right now. And that's what Julie does in the movie. And so maybe that's part of the point. But for whatever reason, I just found myself not able to access the character in a way that it seems like most others who, who have loved this movie have been able to. And it's the kind of movie that I actually, I want to see it again. And I hope that I can see it again because of uh, just how many strong, full-throated, positive reviews it's gotten. Uh, I would definitely love a chance to, now that I have no expectations for where the story is going to go, I know what's going to happen, be able to sit with it again and really focus just in on the performance and on the character. Uh, I, I will say I was torn between whether or not I should include this on my top 20 list because it's it's only come out in film festivals, but the reason I did it is because it has a U.S. release. It is coming out in uh, February, the exact date escapes me and i'm really really sorry about that but it is going to come out in february it's getting oscar buzz for best international feature and 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 i'm like i people will hear about this movie and i just want people to like look out for it now that being said julie wasn't what captivated me about this movie it was julie's decisions and and her confusion as to how she should respond to them that got me it because i'm I'm not going to say that i related to to julie as, as much as I understood how she could not know where things are going. And, and it's very much a transitionary point in time that a lot of us find ourselves in. I think a lot of people out there, um, if you're able to, go watch this. It's it's it, it's it's not a, uh, what's the best word? It's not a bleak movie. It's very interesting directorial vision. Uh, and, and I think it's... I think it's quite accessible, so so yeah, I'm gonna it, shout it out. Go yeah. see it. Trier strikes a good tone where I kind of heard it described as a romantic comedy. It's not a romantic comedy. It's not a romantic comedy, but it's also not a full blown drama either. Like he has a good like he knows when to get serious. He knows when to keep it light. Uh, definitely well balanced there. My moving on number four is <laughs> yet another movie that I already talked about before. Uh, last year, I was a huge fan of Hamilton. I'm not sure how I feel about Hamilton these days. I've heard a lot of critiques of it, and actually, uh, they're pretty persuasive in their critiques of Hamilton. But it was one of my favorite things that I saw last year, despite it being the filmed coverage of the performance from way previous. It was just kind of dropped on Disney Plus. But I was like, screw it. It's one of my favorite things I watched all year. I put it at number five on my list. Similarly, number four on my list of this year is Bo Burnham Inside. And I was torn where to rank it because it's the only thing on Letterboxd I've given five stars to this year. I that Like Inside, I've seen three times. I absolutely love it. The music has stayed with me and I've listened to it constantly. <laughs> my wife and I will walk around the house and occasionally burst into song from Inside. I was just torn on where I wanted to put it on this list because I do think it's a movie. It's not just a comedy special. Um... It's much longer than the average 60-minute special, and I think that Bo is trying to, if not tell a story, is trying to play a character and and touch on a few different themes, communicate his mental state and struggles with going through the pandemic. Uh, so, you know, it, but I get that it's not a, a conventional movie, not a documentary. It, it, I don't really know necessarily if everybody agrees that it's a movie, but it's still just probably my favorite thing that I got to see this year. So and kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do with it. I wanted to put it at number four. There are three movies that I just like went goo goo gaga for that. I'm really excited to talk about and ahead of inside, but still one of my favorite things of this year. It's my number four. I like Bo Burnham inside. I don't have any new thoughts on it. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's quite wonderful. 
Um, I, I will say, believe it or not, I think it's a little too long, which which we disagree with. But um, what Bo Burnham is able to do basically by himself is 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 unparalleled. I've I've always liked him. I love Eighth Grade, the movie that he directed. I love his work in The Promising Young Woman as an actor. I think Bo Burnham is nothing short of a genius. Um, so uh, honestly, I'm, I'm glad that you love this movie. It's wonderful. And just again, looking at this list of my top 10 of the year, it, it's a lot about what stayed with me. And Inside is something that has kind of lived with me throughout this year, <laughs> ever since I saw it, whenever it came out in, in March or April or whenever that was. It has lived with me, whether I was listening to the music or watching it again. So it 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 is one of the things that has the, I guess, biggest impact on my 2021 movie year in a way. Christian, let's move on to your number four. So not my number four movie of the year is Last Night in Soho. It was directed by Edgar Wright, written by Edgar Wright alongside Christy Wilson-Karn. Um, it is psychological thriller. It's probably supernatural psychological thriller. Yeah. Actually, is a better word for it. It's about a girl who goes to fashion school in London and she has this gift where she can see people who are dead. And when she goes to sleep, what actually enters her visions are um, the story of a girl named Sandy. And and how what Sandy did living in that same room that she was living in. It stars Thomas and Mackenzie, Anya Taylor-Joy. Uh, and it's, it, it's this portrayal of trauma in a way that is both harrowing and also entertaining and i'm gonna say that it's it's one of the most crowd-pleasing movies i've seen it's one of the most striking visuals i have seen this year i did not think i would enjoy it as much as i i i went head over heels for this when i saw this um, it's got jump scares and a twist that I legitimately did not see coming. Um, it's got, I think, the final film of Diana Rigg, who we'll know as Olena Tyrell from Game of Thrones, who is wonderful. I, Anya Taylor-Joy, wonderful. Thomas and McKinsey, wonderful. It's, it's, it's just such a thriller. Oh my goodness. That, that, that I was cheering for. I'm like, you go, Thomas and McKenzie. You go. Uh, I know that you saw it. I know that you liked it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I liked it. And I, I think this movie got a... It got pretty critically derided when it came out. Uh, not a very well-received movie. And certainly probably the the Edgar Wright movie with the weakest critical reception uh, of his movies. And I didn't quite see that. I, I didn't really go... I didn't go for it nearly... Um, as much as you did, but I think there are a few big pluses here. Number one, just some of the filmmaking, the way that he shoots these dream sequences where she, uh, where uh, Thomas and Mackenzie's character is dreaming and sees herself in these dreams, but kind of sees herself as Anya Taylor-Joy's character, Sandy. And so you get these mirror shots where it's, you see Thomas and Mackenzie walking down the steps, but then you see Anya Taylor-Joy kind of in the, 
not either in the reflection or sometimes they'll you know roll reverse uh there's this dance sequence where they are dancing with matt smith's character and there's like all these fast these whip pans and cuts that show them pretty seamlessly switches between the two of them uh as he's dancing with them and it's like some of the filmmaking stuff is just so well done and so fun to watch and i think too that both thomas and mckenzie and anya taylor joy are incredibly well casted and well deployed in this movie I I really like Thomas and McKenzie. I think she's a really like really wonderful actress to watch, and she's very unique in kind of the, her presentation, just the way she looks, the way she sounds, uh, has a pretty high pitched voice. Um, but I think this movie, like the, that last night in Soho, uses Anya Taylor Joy incredibly well, and she's like a flat out movie star uh, in this movie. Um, despite the terrible things that happen to her character, that we see more of as the dreams get worse and the movie goes on. She just really understands how to work the camera, how to move her body in such a way to captivate your attention. She knows what she's doing, and she's been in bigger and bigger projects, obviously, as her career has blown up from uh, things like Split uh, or Queen's Gambit last year, the, the limited series. And for me, this is just one of those movies that continue to show her immense talents in front of the camera. She, uh, again, has a very distinct look, much like Thomas and Mackenzie, if they're different, obviously. Um, and she's someone who just sets the camera on fire when she's when she's allowed to kind of, like, unleash herself. So I was a huge fan of those two central performances. I had some, uh, you know, story problems. And one thing that I was actually pretty sad about was Eloise, who's Thomas and Mackenzie's character, gets a love interest in uh John, who's played by Michael um, Ajao, I think is how you would say his name, who's actually in Attack the Block, which we talked about uh, in one of our streaming recommendations episodes. And I really like his, I mean, he's a good actor, and I like... Um, he's a what, human prop. Yeah, it's it's sad. He, he I, was gonna, I was trying to find a way to say it. Like, I like what he could have been, almost. Uh, but he's really used as a, a prop for Eloise. He's the black friend, he's, and yeah, that's it. And he doesn't really get to be his own character, which is... That's the is, only reason this movie is not higher on my list. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate. It, it's pretty short-sighted, uh, I, I think. And I, I sort of see what they were going for when they were writing his character, trying to have someone who was supportive of Eloise and not kind of like putting in BS tension just to have it there, which a lot of movies sometimes feel like they need to do with a love interest. Like, he's supportive of her throughout the movie, but uh, it just it, it didn't work in execution so there were a couple things like that that just sort of sort of soured the experience for me but not enough to dislike the movie i, I still think it's absolutely worth seeing uh and, and and the last thing i'll say before we move on to your number three is edgar wright um and, and all I, i'm gonna shout out edgar wright because i know his um filmography more though i i know that christy wilson karn was absolutely instrumental in this uh he has a way of creating rules within his movie, like within the magic that occurs in his movie. He does this with Scott Pilgrim versus the world also where the, like the magic makes sense. Even though I don't know how he did it, these dream sequences and how he's able to shoot them and the visual effects that are employed there are, are fantastic to watch. And also the score. Oh my goodness. The score is lovely. So, um, it's coming out in Blu-ray uh, soon. It's one of the it's one of like the top of my bucket list to buy. Just want that here now. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, that yeah, that's it. Let's move on to your number three, Scott. My number three, Christian. What else could it be? It's Dune. Denis Villeneuve's cinematic triumph, Dune, which uh, we already argued about on this podcast, but absolutely a movie that did not leave me. Throughout this year, and um, I, 
we'll probably try to see it again as we get into the build up towards the Oscars. Uh, if somehow you missed our episode or you missed Dune for whatever reason, uh, stars Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, and Oscar Isaac, leading a pretty expansive cast. Um, and it, of course, written and directed by Villeneuve with John Spates and Eric Roth in, in supporting uh, or co-writing roles there. And then uh, some other key players being Greg Frazier, the cinematographer, and Hans Zimmer, the uh, composer. Just uh, a huge gamble of a massive sci-fi property that bowled me over uh, when we saw it in the theater. I quickly became obsessed with Dune. I borrowed the book from Christian, and I am very slowly making my way through it because I'm a terrible... You're not done yet? No, I'm terrible at making time for reading. Uh, But I am slowly making my way through it. Um, Just one of those movies that, again, it lived with me throughout this year. I would return to moments in the movie, whether it was just thinking about those enormous spaceships rising (laughs) from, you know, out of the waters of of, uh, Caladan or floating outside of Arrakis. I thought about uh, Zendaya's character appearing in these dream sequences uh, and, and confusing Paul Atreides. And some of the action in this movie is, is on such an epic scale. And it's one of the best examples in recent memory of visual effects and practical sets, costumes, props, etc., blending in a really fantastic way. Uh, I just... Uh, Dune to me is a tremendous success both in, in just the, the movie making the score is re- incredible from Hans Zimmer it's a credibly well shot movie by Greg Frazier um, but also managing to tell this story and tell this first half of this uh, book that was long considered to be uh, unadaptable at least in a movie form so uh, Dune remained one of my favorites of the year after our review of it Christian uh, I know your thoughts are a little more complicated uh, so anything that you'd want to add upon reflection Dune continues to be unadaptable. The okay, no, no, no. I'll, 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 I'll be nice. The, the major criticism I have, well, I have two. One is that it's. I, I don't think the story is there. I think that the story is is overcomplicated and doesn't give you room to actually understand what's going on. Um, we disagree on that. The other it's thing funny, I have, they cut the book in half to tell the story. I know. I knew that going in, and I still didn't like it. And I will say, I also believe the um, it's a white savior movie. I think that's a very problematic aspect of it that I couldn't help, but it really, really distressed me. Um, it's visually pleasing to some extent, and it's got one of some of the most epic scenes. And Denis Villeneuve is a phenomenal director of science fiction and of knowing when to use his visual effects and... The score is is like overwhelmingly powerful, so it's technically so incredibly impressive, and, and um, I, I I don't like this movie. I recognize its merits. Yeah, I with the the only specific thing I want to address so that we can move on is the the white savior aspect of the narrative, and I understand the optics of the white guy telling the Hispanic guy <laughs> about the white savior narrative. Um, I, I do want to continue to be sensitive to that moving forward because I know it's something the books were criticized for and uh, obviously this version of the movie had its critics uh, as well. I didn't quite see it because it felt to me like he that Villeneuve was trying to undercut that in some ways but of course he's telling part one of a two-part story and so we'll have to see where this goes um, and obviously he could make some diversions from the source material to uh, better modernize this tale and, and remove some of those negative elements to the story uh, I know it, it was criticized for some of the casting and um, 
not having not having uh, Middle Eastern or, or African enough African actors in the cast um, and removing some of the Arabic elements uh, of the books. And so I am curious to see how uh, Villeneuve is able and his collaborators are able to respond to those criticisms moving forward. Um, didn't dampen the experience for me, but definitely something I want to be aware of as a, as a person who loves this movie and enjoys talking about it and singing his praises. Also got to be real about the criticisms. Um, so Thank you for bringing that up once again. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to at least uh, consider it, even though I, I, for me, obviously, I'm a fan. Christian, your number three. Yeah, uh, it's prime time. It's a movie I that was my number one at like the seven month point of the year. It is Polish drama thriller uh, directed by Jacob Piatek, written by him, also written by Lukasz Czapowski. Uh, it stars Bartosz Bielenia as this uh, kid, Sebastian who goes into a TV station the uh, eve of December 31st, 1999, with a piece of paper that he wishes to read out loud at the start of the new year, um, and uh, says he has a bomb and takes hostages for them to allow him to have an interview or to have time on air. It's one of the most gripping things that... uh, I have seen recently beautiful use of its one location, phenomenal uh, performance, not just by Belenia, but also by Magdalena Poplowska as Myra, Mira, who is one of the people he takes hostage. Uh, it, it's it's this weird internal thing about how sometimes the struggles that we have, we want a full audience for, and that we want it to get out and people will now allow us to get it out it's 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 wonderful wonderful like a thriller that that no one no one has seen this movie i know you've seen it no one else has seen this movie and i do think it is such a great 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 suspenseful suspenseful tale that i honestly makes me want to see more from um the director and the screenwriters here because this is his directorial debut so who knows who knows what what comes next uh yeah just i i think we talked about it early this year during our um the episode we did for our halfway halfway point a lot of those movies staying with the both of us obviously and primetime for me where it was like incredible for you just did not work as well for me in terms of maintaining the tension uh across the 90 minutes and i I was really unsatisfied by the ending i definitely think this is worth checking out because number one christian strong reaction like you could react as well as he did uh and i think there's some really great acting here and so if you're gonna try to check out some lesser seen international movies you know from recent memory primetime is definitely one that you should check out it's available on netflix it's only 93 minutes (laughs) with credits christian's a huge fan um i mean, like definitely a, a cool one to check out and i know the the star too um bartosz bielina uh Belenia, he has been in a number of movies so far and was also in a movie that i really want to see called corpus christi in which he um he's a, a juvenile delinquent who uh dresses up as a priest and becomes the priest to this small town uh and it's a movie that i heard really great things about that i never got around to seeing so he definitely seems to be an international actor to watch based on Corpus Christi and then the good reviews he got for this movie as well. So definitely one to check out. Um, Christian, obviously this ranks highly on your list. Is there anything that you would want to add before we move on? It's uh, on Netflix. It is available. And I, I don't know. I It surprised me that it seemed to like come and go. And uh, 
I, I mean, that's one of the reasons we do these lists for those movies that come and go. And one of the most beautiful things about doing a top 10 list, obviously, is that it reflects your own taste and you're like the number one champion of prime time. And so it's it should be on your list. And I'm glad that it is. Uh, so, yeah, check it out. It's on Netflix. Maybe you'll have a better reaction than me. Maybe you'll be like Christian and you guys can start to form the primetime hive. <laughs> My number two of the year uh, a movie that I have not really gotten to talk about in any major public forum and one that I'm incredibly excited to do so now. It is Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch. Uh, of course, written and directed by him. Co-written with Jason Schwartzman, Roman Coppola, and Hugo Guinness. Uh, some common collaborators of his there. And uh, starring a- an enormous cast of actors, uh, not all of whom will be mentioned uh, <laughs> Because it is telling the final issue of the titular magazine with a little intro story, an obituary, and three uh, main stories forming the the sort of plots that get told throughout the movie. Uh, it's an anthology comedy movie from Wes Anderson, What's Not to Like. Um, the French Dispatch, for me, it, I just wanted to watch, I wanted to sit down and watch like eight hours of this movie. Like I just wanted Wes to keep introducing plot threads, <laughs> uh, stories from this magazine to keep telling them because I was completely and utterly transfixed. Um, if you don't like Wes Anderson, if you don't really like his sense of style, I don't think you're going to like this movie. It's um, been most critic I've been criticized by some people because it's like too Wes Anderson-y, like he's finally gone completely up his own ass. But I don't think that's that's quite where he's gone. I think Wes Anderson just has a very distinctive style, knows exactly what he's doing, and is looking to make great movies. Because I think this is. Um, while it's still not my absolute number one favorite of his, it's one that I adore, uh, both for his un- unleashed style in these different narratives, using a lot of different techniques, often shooting in black and white uh, or shooting in color, even having a full-blown animated sequence uh, later on in the movie, uh, utilizing a ton of actors and getting these great little performances out of super big stars <laughs> who are willing to come in, be in a couple scenes, and then, and then leave. Uh, but also... The point, uh, or the key to Anderson, is not just his sense of style, but also the the common undercurrents of his movies. These themes uh, of love and loss, of uh, mental health, of family, of uh, artists and their struggle, <laughs> of growing up and coming of age. And uh, the French Dispatch isn't necessarily on many of those, but it's very melancholic movie. Uh, it's set in this fake town of France in France, annoyingly called Ennui, <laughs> because that's kind of the, the tone to the whole movie. Um, and with it starting with the passing of the editor in chief of the French Dispatch and being kind of sort of his last issue now that he's gone, uh, that's what kind of hangs over the whole movie. It's a lot of reflections, looking back on on what was, and it just the the stories and the emotions of it all completely worked for me in addition to this completely un, unhinged Wes Anderson style and I I didn't want the movie to end um, Christian obviously this movie is not on your list I, I'd love to know uh, your thoughts on the French Dispatch I guess spoiler for our listeners it wasn't Christian's number one or two <laughs> I, I I really like the French Dispatch it's wonderful I think it's slightly too long but I don't know. I, I don't think that it's Wes Anderson and his most Wes Anderson-y, uh, even though he, he is, like, off the deep end for sure. But it, it's got a lot of love in this movie. Um, and, and my main critique with Wes Anderson in the past is that sometimes he's too robotic. And, and, but, no, this is a movie that's full of care. It's full of craft. It's full of wonderful performances. 
I think it's too long. And I, I, during the third story, I really do think that he just like, there was no one to reel him back and, and he didn't need anyone to reel him back. But no, it, it's it's a good time. It makes you feel good. It probably will not be your favorite Wes Anderson movie, but it's 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 lovely. It's 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 nice to like sit back and enjoy. I'm confused to why you think it's too long, considering it's uh, an hour and forty eight minutes. Like not typically too long territory, <laughs> but uh, because I, I I think that by the the third movie, I did think I want this third movie to end it, like this third section to end, and for us to get on with the overall narrative of the movie. Uh, well, I mean, there's not necessarily an overall narrative because it's it is this anthology. You know what I mean? Well, not necessarily. You... Like taking on the style of the magazine, where each is supposed to kind of get its own. I don't know if right. each had 30 minutes or whatever. I did not but... need to have a food critique last that long. I mean, it wasn't a, a, a food critique. You know what I mean when I say food critique because it is taking on the taste section of the magazine. Right, but that that segment, it's... Um, oh my gosh, Jeffrey Wright is playing a character called named Roebuck Wright who is uh, loosely inspired by James Baldwin. And what that story is off is about is not necessarily just the food, because of course it's, it's a not about the food. None ridiculous, of these movies are yeah, about the section that they're on. I right. understand that. I did see the movie. I'm well, just saying you were talking about the food and the taste. So pardon me for because it, that was the that was the title of the section, right? But it's it's really I mean it's no, about it, okay. Look, I, I no, I get it. It's a lovely movie. I just think that the sections sometimes are too long and they drag a little bit. As lovely as the movie is. And I wanted it to get to the next part of the magazine so I could see how this related to the overall reflection of the main editor who has died at the beginning of this movie and see why it meant so much to him. Uh, as you can see, probably, I mean, depending on your feelings on Wes Anderson, might define how you feel about this movie. Um, like, I'm, I'm not even a Wes Anderson diehard. Like, I like every movie of his that I've seen. I only love a couple. And this one is certainly up there for my favorites. Um, I will say just the, the visuals of this movie, I think that's why he's been, people have really landed on him at this being like up his own ass because so many of these of the the sets that he's using are these like almost diorama like <laughs> settings where they're incredibly elaborate sets that get moments of screen time before he's moving on to the next one uh so much going on in the set dressing in the production design um characters moving around these expansive casts coming in for short uh stories as they you know portray each of these elements of the magazine um each one uh just i I think if you if you get on again if you get on the wavelength if you like what you see you're gonna love this movie um, or you know maybe you'll be like Christian and you kind of you'll get you lose it a little bit with one of with one of the sections or um, you kind of want them to move a little bit faster it could be a little bit more peppy paced um, but for me just absolutely one of my favorites of the year um, another delightful score from Alexandre Desplat who uh, has worked uh, a lot with I mean it's probably not Desplat it's probably Desplat who's worked a lot with uh, with Wes Anderson uh, a number of great performances I uh, another Timothy Chalamet performance here I was quite a fan of his and Francis McDormand's uh, chemistry there as scene partners also really liked Benicio Del Toro uh, and Lea Seydoux uh, in this movie as well but just yeah I mean we I could probably go on about this one for longer but we don't have time so French Dispatch. If you're an Anderson fan especially and you haven't seen it yet, make sure to find some time to do so. Christian, you're number two. It is Spider-Man No Way Home. Maybe you've heard of it. <laughs> Everybody in the world has heard of it. Written by Chris McKenna and Eric Summers. Directed by John Watts. Oh, man. Oh, this. This was a movie. 
I did not expect to like this movie. I actively said in the podcast that we did with the Color Brothers that I thought this movie would be a disappointment, that they would be doing too many things. And I go into this movie and it is the perfect level of fan appreciation. And it is such a high schooler being stupid and not knowing the consequences of their own action. And it is, it has phenomenal performances in my mind. And it's got a, it, it's just lovely. It's its just a movie that you want to cheer for and that you appreciate. And I'm, I look, um, the one thing that wasn't an issue for me, but that I've had an issue with Marvel movies in the past, I didn't know how much homework you needed to have done, how many Marvel movies or like Sony movies you should have seen to be ready for Spider-Man No Way Home. But I think that it is a universal story about a high schooler. Let me let me give a little bit of the plot, but in case you haven't seen it, just, just there, it's so easy to spoil this movie. Peter Parker has been outed as Spider-Man, and so he goes to Doctor Strange in order to ask him to erase the memory of him. But he messes up the spell. Not Doctor Strange. Peter Parker messes up the spell for him. And therefore, instead of erasing people's memories, it brings in people who know Spider-Man from other universes. Uh, it's it, it's such a weird movie about knowing which identity to take on. Um, I, I I loved it. I, I it's it's I oh man, I loved this movie. Uh, tell me why it is not on your list, Scott. <laughs> I think honestly, I was just a little bit let down uh, because I had such high expectations going into it. I saw it. Um, I mean, I would say I saw it late. I saw it on Saturday after <laughs> after it came out Thursday night, you know, and the the reaction to this movie has been ridiculous. It's been rapturous. And I saw your five star rating on Letterboxd and lost my mind because I was like, Christian, like this movie that much. I'm probably going to go crazy because I love Spider-Man. And I was a little bit let down by No Way Home. I still really liked it, and I'm looking forward to watching it again. Uh, I think the the main points for me of concern were all were mostly story related. Um, there are a few parts of this movie where they're talking about Doctor Strange's magic, and they do a very annoying screenwriting trick that I uh, or one that I find very annoying, which is kind of making up the rules as they go. Um, where Doctor Strange, even though he's an incredibly powerful wizard who's one Sorcerer Supreme, can't contain the magic because Peter Parker's talking to him. It's things like that where I wish there was a, a better justification, um, especially when we get into the end of the movie and, and kind of how things uh, wrap up, um, where I wish that they would have had either devised a better way to get to where they wanted to, or, or I don't know, changed up the story to, be to just better fit the, the, the way it had been told, because I think there are some, some truly excellent moments, and like across all the MCU, some absolute highlight moments. I cried at this movie. I shed a tear at one of the moments, uh, which I will not spoil. Um, and I, I, I just, there's so much that I liked about it, um, but aside from a few yada yada-ing with the magic moments, I also... Found some of the dialogue-heavy scenes just to drag, um, because that's not always the highlight of the Spider-Man movies. Uh, and when he's not quipping and moving fast, uh, when there's like nine people in a room all trying to talk together, uh, it just got to be too much at certain points. But this is still an excellent MCU movie. I was a huge fan. Like, if you like Spider-Man, you should go see it. And Christian, do you want to talk like a minute of spoilers? <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll do a minute of spoilers, but I, I'll say this. This is, and it's weird. This is not the movie with the best dialogue. It's not the movie with the best performances I've seen this year. It's not the movie with the best story. 
it's not a movie with the best directing, but it, it's a movie that's definitely the sum of its parts is greater than the whole for me. Where when the dialogue did come together, when the directing did come together, when the performances did come together, it worked better than almost anything I've seen except for one movie. So that that's um, and and I I, I loved that the like new and, and um, I mean uh, what Kevin Feige has gone on to say that this is commercial filmmaking and that commercial filmmaking is an art form and it is difficult to try and get people out to see a movie that it's not just as simple as putting a superhero cape on someone uh and i respect that and i think that's true because this was a good time and it made me want to immediately rewatch the film so um you have all probably seen it you have all probably enjoyed it so it's i um to me honestly I've always thought that Doctor Strange was incompetent. So when he messed up the spell, I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. You're not good. So I <laughs> it's like, didn't, didn't care. Incompetent. Uh, oh. He's Sorcerer Supreme, except, of course, this movie he's not anymore because of the blip. But <laughs> OK, let's 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 do let's do a minute. Let's do a minute of spoilers on and I'll time us. Uh, skip forward a minute. Um, all right. Yo, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield were wonderful. Oh my gosh, Andrew Garfield's so good in this movie. <laughs> He's I so loved good. Okay, I loved him. I really loved Tobey Maguire though. When they were like the um hipster youth pastor, I died. That I, might they, be one of the best jokes in any Marvel movie. <laughs> that was so Oh, man. And okay, look, for all, all you folks listening at home, I know you've already seen this damn movie. The moment that made me cry is when Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker gets his chance to save Zendaya's MJ as she's falling. It's redemption for, like, the most painful moment of his life from Amazing Spider-Man 2 where he can't save Gwen Stacy. Literal tears from me, man. It was incredible. Highlight moment in an action-packed finale. But I loved when Tobey Maguire stopped him from beating up Willem Dafoe, though. Stop uh, Andrew Garfield. Also so good. <laughs> That like these are this is oh and um just quick shout out also Matt Murdock being in this movie for like ten seconds so loved it oh I I was like losing it in the theater and and my family was like looking over me like what's going on uh but I was able to fill them in so uh, there's some spoiler talk yeah (laughs) if you skipped ahead a minute you hopefully hopefully didn't catch anything you didn't want to catch but that is spider-man no way home you and everybody you know have already seen it but if you haven't you should go see it when you're feeling safe about going back to a theater so christian now we get to my number one of the year and i'm going to prepare myself for the fight because my number one if you're wondering where it was for my top five of the year so far list uh it's still the green knight just Again, in terms of movies that stayed with me throughout this year, Inside had songs that I could go listen to, could return to, watched it multiple times. I saw The Green Knight one time in theaters, and it was burned onto my brain. Just, like, I... As I was thinking about what I really wanted to put on the top of the list, would it be Dune? Would it be French Dispatch? Uh, I just knew that I had to side with The Green Knight. Um, David Lowry, of course, written and directed, uh, inspired by the poem Sir Gawain and The Green Knight, uh, starring Dev Patel as um, Gawain in the movie, with a supporting cast of Alicia Vikander, Joel Edgerton, Sarita Chowdhury, and Sean Harris, and Ralph Ineson as the titular knight. Uh, this mystical, weird hero's journey that Gawain goes on after he takes up the Christmas game with the Green Knight, lops off his head, and then realizes he has to have this same wound returned to him a year hence. It um, is the most visually exciting movie that I saw this entire year. 
one some of the best music and the best sounding uh, movie that I saw this year. Uh, and the story has lived with me. And, and we argued about the story because your main criticism of this movie is it's a lot of pretty pictures with very little underneath. And I have the complete opposite perspective. And then I think the, the visuals and the story are working together in such a, a beautiful tandem here where the story is all about honor and and Gawain uh, struggling to become this knight that his his uh, uncle King Arthur wants him to become and, and that he wants to become this honorous knight who will who will do the right thing and he's constantly undercutting his own honor and uh, in each of these little vignettes on his journey to go see the green knight once again is all about getting him to that endpoint will he choose to accept uh the the wound that he bestowed upon the green knight and was promised would be returned to him will he accept that or will he run away from it and uh, the, again this movie has an off the chain ending that has stuck with me as well uh, in terms of once we once we finally do get back to the green knight it has characters that have lived in my mind and one of the things that i love the most about this is too is that it's it's i mentioned it's mystical and it's weird but it's also it's mysterious and it doesn't hand everything to us on a silver platter there's so much room where you're wondering what does that mean and not in a frustrating way but in a way that makes you want to dive deeper into the world sit with it think about it and and read others writing about it because it's it, it, to me just an absolutely incredible achievement. Uh, David Lowry's best film um, from the ones that I've seen so far, and uh, one that I will hopefully return to uh, many times before uh, I, uh, I get to visit the Green Knight uh, myself. So my number one of the year, the Green Knight. This movie was frustrating to me. <laughs> I know it was. Look, I'm. It 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 I. I... I'm going to tell you the visuals here are phenomenal. Like I still remember the scene with the giants walking by. I, I don't think the story is there. Um, I, I look, I, I actually, I, most of the people I know who have seen this movie with me did not like the story, like the thing because they didn't get the story. Now, I understood the story and what it was going for. I just don't think it made sense. Again, I'll give it to you. I want to be nice. I, I think that the visuals are phenomenal. And I would watch another David Lowry movie because he clearly knows how to move a camera, how to set it there, how to um, include visual effects in it. One of the most effective and seamless uses of visual effects this year is from The Green Knight. So, so... I. I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I can't. It, it, it's like a movie where I wanted it to be more than what I got. This makes me sad because you didn't like it. Our, our good friend of the show, Paul Yoder, didn't like it. And my wife, Maddie, absolutely hated it and is still mad at me for even liking it. So I, I'm still looking for somebody who liked The Green Knight. All the people I follow on Letterboxd, for the most part, have liked it. <laughs> it's just nobody real to me in my life. But uh, I, I would absolutely, I would beg you, uh, if you have not yet seen The Green Knight, to get it on Redbox, rent it on Amazon or wherever you can. Just one of the best like pieces, parts movies of like looks, sound, music, acting, um, but also the, the 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 sum of it all, the whole is just so brilliant to me. And I hope to find someone who can appreciate it like I did. So my number one of the year, go check it out. I I, I think the colors liked it. Shout out to the color brothers, Keenan and Kaysen. We don't always agree, but when we do, man, we just we're, we're we're step by step. So shout out to them, Christian. Your number one of the year. Wrap us up, my friend. What topped your list? 
My number one of the year is Nine Days. It is a movie that came out in Sundance in 2020. It got a release this year. This is a movie that very few people have seen. It is written and directed by Edson Oda. It stars some people who you might know, like Winston Duke, Zazie Beetz, Bill Skarsgård. Uh, it's got Tony Hale. Now, the, um, it's, the, the, the plot is very cool. A group of souls are interviewed for a chance to be born on Earth as a human. And the, the, the premise is that Winston Duke plays the interviewer who decides which one of the souls gets to be born. And uh, throughout it, it's an exploration of life, what it means to live, what it means to be told you're not good enough to be one of the souls who makes it. And the the idea here to explore what the purpose of it all is, if there is a purpose, is, is something that blew me away. Now, this movie changes the game for me. I think that it is, it, 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 I don't know if it's supernatural or sci-fi because it, 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 it's weird in that it incorporates a little bit of both, but it, it's definitely one that has done this concept better than most movies have even attempted. Let, let, let me give you a chance to talk. I, I'm still, even now, still robbing my head about it, but this movie to me is heads and tails above any other distributed movie that I have seen this year or last year, uh, maybe even the past 12 years. It's definitely in like the top five, six movies that I've seen in like the past decade. I'm really glad that you finally got me to see this. Um, definitely like a lot of really great debuts this year. Um, and Ed Sonoda making his feature debut here really assured and swinging for the fences with this concept. But uh, again, knows what he's doing and knows how to uh, depict this concept in a, in a really interesting and fascinating way. Get some really good performances out of um, a cast here, uh, like some people who you will not recognize. It'll be your first time seeing them, and some people who you're well aware of. And touching on the this this uh, obviously deep and heady topic of what does it mean to be alive, and and the and will the interviewer is trying to figure out which soul you know he should give a body, which he should send to Earth, and what what does the person have to do or have to be to earn that it is a really like deep and. Uh, ethically strange question <laughs> and i think it's all complicated very well because the inciting incident of the movie is that he actually loses one of the people that he is overseeing that he is sent to be born uh this person dies tragically and so he uh is trying to wrestling with like what happened with her and and trying to react accordingly to um with it with a new soul one who can kind of not suffer the same problems that she did uh, and I think all of that is very intriguing. I just think that, uh, again, like talk about too long, like <laughs> one of those movies that was like a little bit too long, a little bit too drawn out for me. And just frankly, like I thought that Soul last year, Pixar's movie, was a better exploration of a very similar concept uh, where Soul goes back to Earth and most of the movie is spent there. But um, there is a huge portion spent in the great beyond, you know, where the souls kind of get sent down to Earth. A little more heartwarming, too, because nobody uh, loses their shot to live. Like Everybody gets a chance. Um, I just think Soul moved me in a way where Nine Days didn't necessarily. Um it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't really have a ton of problems with nine days. Uh, just in terms of the, the qualitative aspect of how much did you go for something? How much did you love something? How much did it touch you personally? It just didn't get me as much as it, it got you. 
Uh, and so absolutely a movie that I would recommend. Um, just not, um, not one that I developed a huge heart for like you did. I guess like I'll disagree on the soul thing. I love soul. It was definitely my top 10 movies of the year last year. I think this one definitely didn't just do it better, but made me rethink soul. Um, it's, I, I, it's weird. It's like, I, there's not much that I want to say without having people watch this movie. It, it is screenwriting at its finest. It is directing at its, some of its most captivating David Rizdahl plays Mike, who is one of the people that you see, who maybe gave my favorite performance of the year. Uh, it's his soul and, and, and who, he, like how he basically presents himself in interviews it is heartwarming. It's it's heart-wrenching. It's, it's, oh man... Yo, David Rizdahl is actually dating Zazie Beetz. Well, not dating. They're like, they're engaged. And that made me, when, when I saw that, I'm like, God bless you. This is the kind of, this is the kind of content I needed in my life. This movie is funny. It, it, it makes you think in a way that it, things don't, I, I don't even have the words really to describe how this movie was heads and tails above everything else that i've seen this year i know it won an award at sundance i cannot wait for the next thing that edson oda does um y'all check this out c c tell me that you need the money to pay for it and i will venmo you two dollars this is true i i complained because it was a six dollar rental on amazon for whatever reason and christian venmoed me two dollars <laughs> to to compensate for this the surcharge it's Tyler's, I think, second favorite movie of all time. Tyler, for th for those who aren't aware, Tyler being Christian's roommate who's appeared on a couple episodes so far. I, I love it. I, I love it. I'm sad more people don't talk about it. And I, I cannot I cannot wait to see more from Edson Oda. So that is our respective top 20 lists of the year. Uh, Christian, you want to rattle off 40 titles as we <laughs> recap these lists? At 20, The Father. At 19, The Suicide Squad. At 18, Demon Slayer Mugen Train. At 17, The Glitch in the Matrix. At 16, Finch. At 15, Mass. At 14, Coda. At 13, Black Widow. At 12, Malcolm and Marie. At 11, King Richard. At 10, The Killing of Two Lovers. At 9, Drive My Car. At 8, The Harder They Fall. At 7, Come On, Come On. At 6, No Time to Die. At 5, The Worst Person in the World. At 4, Last Night in Soho. At 3, Prime Time. At 2, Spider-Man No Way Home. And at 1, Nine Days. And for me, at 20, I had Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. At 19, Nobody. At 18, No Sudden Move. 17, Was Blue Bayou. 16, Judas and the Black Messiah. 15, No Time to Die. 14, Flea. 13, Coda. At 12 was Licorice Pizza. 11, Raya and the Last Dragon. And then number 10, Power of the Dog. At number 9, The Last Duel. 8, Tick, Tick, Boom. 7, The Mitchells vs. the Machines. 6, The Heart of They Fall. 5, Barb and Star, Go to Vista Del Mar. At 4, Bo Burnham, Inside. 3, Dune. Number 2, The French Dispatch. And number 1, The Green Knight. Christian, all in all, two pretty solid lists, if I do say so myself. Uh, although I didn't get a chance to see all of the movies on your list and I kind of violently hated Malcolm and Marie, I liked everything else that was on your list that I saw. <laughs> uh, that's okay. There are several movies on your list I was not a fan of, but... It's true. That's why they made your list, and that's why that's they made my right. list. Christian, any uh, any honorable mentions you want to throw out? Obviously, we already listed uh, almost 40 movies, like, what, 
uh, a lot of uh, only a few crossovers, so 35 some movies. Anything that you liked from this year that you want to give a shout out? Maybe you just had a few problems with that didn't make your list, but you want to give it some notice. Uh, Don't Look Up is like 21. Um, Candyman, really, really high up in my list. And uh, um, once again, St. Maud, that horror movie that uh, came out this year. Also, Power of the Dog, I'll also shout out. I know that it made your list and it's... It's it, it's like an artsy film that I went for, and I don't always go for them, but... <laughs> there you go. Uh, I was a fan of Passing, which is Rebecca Hall's um, directorial, writing and directing debut starring Tessa Thompson and Ruth Nega. Uh, another film shot in black and white, but one that absolutely thematically calls for it, um, with two black women uh, in the early 20th century who are passing for white. Uh, just a really interesting movie. Uh, I also liked Pig this year with Nicolas Cage. It's one of those movies that kind of became a hit after it came out because people realized it was actually a serious movie and not one of his like <laughs> direct-to-video, uh, just-need-a-paycheck kind of jobs. But again, really interesting movie, worth checking out. Uh, and honestly, first movie I saw back in theaters uh, in 2021 after being away since March of 2020, Godzilla vs. Kong, Christian. God bless that movie. That God movie rocks. That- I like those movies a lot more than most, I think. Uh, I was a huge fan of that. There's a number of others that I'd like to shout out, um, including a few that I caught up with recently, but we don't have time for that, Christian. Wow. 2021. It's in the books. We get to move on to 2022 now. Of course, there'll be some catch-up as the Oscars will come soon, uh, but Christian... We're actually going to take some time to get out of new movies. You and I have been cramming them in. We've watched too many new movies recently. It's time to go back. I have time. seen 104 movies in twenty that are 2021 movies. Like a chew. A better man than me. Uh, Help we me. are going back in time to kick off our January blend of the month because we're going back to the 70s. Last year, we did 1973, looking at three of the most famous movies from that movie year. And now we're moving up to one of the uh, most famous movie years uh, from that decade, 1975. And we'll be looking at three of the best uh, picture nominees from that year, one being the winner, of course, and one flew over the cuckoo's nest. The other two being Barry Lyndon and next week's movie, jaws which i have never seen jaws christian it is a famous neither have i there you go it's a a black mark for both of us that we haven't seen jaws one of steven spielberg's biggest movies one of the the first most important blockbusters and widely considered one of the greatest hollywood movies of all time we are finally going to catch up with it i'm using this show to force myself to watch jaws and i couldn't be more excited that is coming next week do you want to uh should we keep what we're going to do after like at the end to ourselves or do we want to reveal it because it's kind of a shift in our short film yeah show yeah we'll, we'll have some some new um new uh wrinkles to the show coming up we'll talk about that next week as we get fully into our 1975 blend dope all right man we did it christian that's the show we're back cinema drip is back baby 2022 here we go if you've reached this point in the show you listen to our whole long lists thank you so much for doing that we appreciate you being here um we really appreciate the listeners of the show and there are a few things that you can do to support us and keep things moving number one subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or review on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts we would appreciate that we love to shout out reviews on the show if you have some feedback for us, please send it to cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. We do read emails on the show, incorporate it uh, into possible blends of the month. We've done that before. You've heard me talk about it all over. Uh, so please do send us your feedback. Uh, we'd love to even occasionally have listeners on the show to talk about their ideas or, or for different blends or episodes like that. So do it. 
You can also follow Christian and myself on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we're watching. You can follow myself and the show on Twitter and Christian on Instagram. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? I have already thought of what we're going to do for February and what we're going to do for April. And and it's going to be good. We have a good year coming up. <laughs> I'm excited, Christian. I barely figured out what we were doing for January until a few days ago. So you're a better man than me. Until next time, folks, Jaws is coming for you. And this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast.